Get Real with Coach Dave Taylor. I'm your host, Dave Taylor, on this beautiful, I don't know if it's really beautiful, every day is beautiful, 15th day of February, day after Valentine's Day. Hope you had a great Valentine's Day. I know I did, and uh, hopefully everyone else did as well. I know some people that didn't. We'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, as we do, we're going to start our day off with a sports recap a little bit, some some takes on the sports world, and then we will dive into some topics of concern. And you can take those thoughts as you may. I'm broadcasting today live from the home studio where I am assisted by my three assistants, Beauty, Diva, and Cleo, my dogs. So you never know. They are very protective. If someone happens to knock, you might hear them go ballistic. So I'm going to apologize in advance. But they're the ones that get all my research done, and they are the ones that advise me on which topics to cover. So that being said, uh, we have a lot to talk about. As always, uh, the sports world kind of dry. Usually after the uh, Super Bowl, it gets that way. NBA and college basketball taking the forefront. College basketball this year is going to be uh, very, very, very what, – what, what's what I'm looking for? Even? Great parity? I don't know if Villanova losing last night. I'm not impressed with it, really with any team. I talked last week about I, I don't think anybody from the Big Ten can make it. I don't like Michigan State, even though they're a top-five team. I don't like Virginia. I, I just don't think they can score. I think they're going to face a team that's really hot, and they're just going to get beat. Uh, I, I really – you know, obviously, Duke's got a chance. Their defense is going to hurt them. You've got other teams like Auburn and – I mean, this is the year for some of these teams to sneak in and, and get a and get a, a bid to the Final Four. I mean, how good is Xavier, Cincinnati? Those teams are ranked fourth and fifth. I don't like Purdue, Texas Tech, Ohio State. I like a little bit. I think if anybody in the Big Ten goes, it's them. I don't think Gonzaga's got enough. Does Auburn have enough? I mean, this could be the year. Maybe you see a Rhode Island sneak in there, or St. Mary's, or. Tennessee, Arizona should be good enough. I, I this is just going to be an interesting. This this year's final four. See, people always like to say, "Who are your final four? I think anybody that predicts who the final four will be will be stupid. But you could say who I think the top four teams are. But what if those two? Uh, what if those? What if two of those four teams face in the Elite Eight? I mean, the, the NCAA tournament is about matchups. It's about health. And that's why the tournament is the best sporting event in the United States next to the NFL playoffs. I think if you ask me, the greatest sporting event in the United States, you know, it goes NCAA uh, tournament. Then it goes college football. Then it goes NFL. And the reason is it's one and done. Every game matters. That's why. In the NBA, it's a bore fest. I mean, you could have the greatest upset in the history of basketball. That's one game. You've got to do it four times. You're just not going to see team beat the Golden State Warriors four times. Last night, Portland beat them at an amazing game. They can't do that four times. So this year in college basketball, I have to look at the tournament draw, see who I like. See if Virginia is going to have to face an athletic, aggressive, offensive-minded team. 
you know, then maybe somebody gets does get upset and that leads the pathway to somebody sneaking in. All I know is I have not seen a dominant college basketball team all year. That's all I know. I would love to see Xavier get there. Cincinnati, Texas Tech. I would love to see these teams get into the Final Four. Coach at Auburn, so not him. Uh, Clemson even, you know, they have football success. St. Mary's, I would love that. But time will tell. All I can tell you is I have not seen a dominant team all year. I'm rooting for Virginia. I'm rooting for West Virginia. I think Huggins has been there once with Cincinnati, has he? I'm not sure. The schedule tonight is pretty light. No real massive games. But now you're getting close to the end of the year. You're going to have some pretty good matchups. You're getting ready for tournament, conference plays. I'll tell you a game I'm going to watch this weekend. Villanova, Xavier. It's Villanova at Xavier on Fox at 430. I'm excited to see that game because I haven't really seen enough of them. West Virginia at Kansas, 6 o'clock. West Virginia is hot or cold. You've got Tennessee at Georgia. I haven't seen play enough. I mean, those are some highlight games that I think everybody would be interested in seeing. Not a lot else on the line. UCLA plays Oregon at home. They pretty much have to win out and have a good Pac-12 tournament in order to make it, even though they beat Arizona. Pepperdine at Gonzaga, Texas Tech at Baylor. I think that game is going to be better than people think. Baylor is, is a dangerous team to play. But those are your highlighted games on Saturday. Those are the games that that everybody's waiting to see. Air Force at Boise State, of course. I'll watch that. Michigan State at Northwestern. Eh. Texas at Oklahoma, and Oklahoma's limping. Sunday you have a great matchup at 1 o'clock. Ohio State at Michigan. That's a game I'll watch. Duke at Clemson. I'll watch that as well. Those are early on Sunday. Wichita State at Cincinnati, 4 o'clock. So those are your games. Kansas on Monday. So that those are the games worthy of watching. Now we move on to the, the league I cannot stand, and that is the NBA. The NBA has just got a lot of problems, and I don't know if they're ever going to fix them because the NBA is about money. The NBA is about nothing else. The, the Celtics are struggling, but, you know, it's the NBA. Who cares? Standings, I'm looking at potential playoff matchups. As crazy as this sounds, I don't think anybody would want to play the Clippers in the first round, meaning it's going to be either Houston or Golden State or San Antonio. I don't think anybody would want to play the Clippers, especially if they get Patrick Beverly back, which I don't know if they will. But they're a team that that can cause problems. They're a good defensive team. They've got DeAndre Jordan. They've got Avery Bradley. They've got Patrick Beverly. They're a good defensive team. They could score with Lou Williams. They could score with Harris. They could. They're a team that I, I would not want to play. 
Do I think that either do I think the Clippers can beat either of those teams four times? No. But they might take a lot out of them. The NBA, the, the Western Conference is a 10-team race, and the Spurs have 24 losses. The Jazz have 28 losses. That's three to 10. So that's going to mix up. Always look at losses. San Antonio with 24, Minnesota 25, Oklahoma City, Portland, Denver, Pelicans, and Clippers, all with 26 losses. So the Western Conference is going to be a dogfight to get down to the stretch. In the East, it's going to be interesting to see who wins between Toronto and Boston. You really want to come in first and not come in second or third because it looks right now you, you don't want to play Cleveland before the Eastern Conference Finals, and that's the way it would be right now. Wizards at four, Bucks at five, Indy at six, Philly at seven, Miami at eight. The bottom four in the East are just hideous. Detroit's outside looking in, one game out in the lost column. Charlotte, five games out in the lost column. But Miami, Philly, Indy have no chance. Milwaukee could beat the Wizards. So the, the top five teams could cause problems. I'd rather play the Wizards with Wall than the Bucks. The real problem I have in the NBA is their All-Star Weekend. It is, it is the worst sporting event in all of sports. It really is the worst. And it's not even close. There is no worse sporting event than NBA All-Star Weekend. Think about what they got going on. I don't even know. I, I have I paid so little attention. They got the world game on Friday. By the way, the NBA schedule tonight, you only have four teams. Denver at Milwaukee, Lakers at Minnesota, Borfest. But tomorrow you have the world versus USA. I could care less. The skills competition is something I might watch where they dribble and pass and shoot and all that stuff. The three-point contest, I might watch. The dunk contest is a joke. But there's nothing as bad as a game. The game on Sunday, I haven't watched an all-star game in a decade. And now you've got this Team LeBron versus Team Curry. What a disaster. Half the, half the NBA all-star roster is out with injury. I mean, it is the worst thing for youth sports. Any kids that watch that game are are scarred for at least a decade because then they're going to see that that's the way you're supposed to play or you look cool. What did they have last year? Curry laying on the ground and somebody stepping over him. I, I forgot what it was. It was just so asinine that me as a youth coach that cares about the game, that loves the game, and I and I and I work with kids all the time, it really is a detriment to their development because they watch that game and they think it's cool because they're 11 or 12 or 13 and they don't know any better. And they watch that and then they try to emulate it. It is a disaster. I don't know how any NBA purists watch that. I don't get it. And if you think I'm just watch the game. 
Then watch an NBA All-Star game from a decade ago. I mean, it's not even close. So I hope no one watches it. Some idiots will. But I really hope they don't. You know, we have these buyouts coming on. You know, it, it team, and uh, like, let's say I talked about this last week. When a team has a player that they just don't want anymore and they want to waive that player, the, that player and the team negotiate some kind of settlement where they can release the player and, and have to pay him the remainder of his contract. It depends. And then you got to put them on waivers, and then you see what happens. I don't know who's going to be waived coming up. I know that Joe Johnson went to Houston. There's going to be some more. I know that Derek Rose got waived and cleared. So now you got an opportunity to pick him up. So they expect Miami to be a big player in this. Like, look at the Celtics. They got Greg Monroe. One year, $5 million. Usually it's a $2.3 million exception. But the buyout thing is just a disaster. We'll get more into it next year. I mean, next week. But let's look if you're the old team. Let's say you're on the hook to play a guy. Like, look at Dwayne Wade. When he was with the Bulls, Wade agreed to leave on the table about $8 million of the $23.8 million he was owed for that season. So they negotiated, and the Bulls saved $8 million. So so basically, if he was owed $23.8, and they negotiated to pay him $15.5, then he walks. And that's a lot to pay a guy just to walk away. No trade, nothing. So that's how it works. And then he'll go sign somewhere else and make that money. So he's thinking to himself, if you're Wade, okay, well, I lost 8.3. But if I go to Miami or if I go somewhere else, maybe they'll sign me for five. So you don't lose as much, and you get to play on a better team, and you get to maybe make a, you know, make the playoffs. We're going to have some buyouts coming up, and that's something that we're going to have to get ready for. So get ready for that regard, with regards to the NBA. But the NBA's all-star game, it's also later in the year. There's only like 23, 24, 25 games left in the NBA season. But it's just a bore fest. At least we're going to – the excitement in the NBA is going, to see, is going to be to see who makes the playoffs. That's going to be exciting. And then once the playoffs start, just take a nap, go on vacation, and come back for the Eastern Conference Finals. Maybe the Celtics against the Cavs will be a good series before the – conference finals but the best the best series will be if Houston plays Golden State and if Toronto plays either Cleveland or Boston the NBA finals will probably be a bar fest if you're asking me today it's not even close the Warriors beat Houston in six and then beat whoever wins the East in five NFL is not going to be a lot of action, so you don't need to worry about the NFL. 
I do want to talk about the Olympics because that's something I am watching. One thing about the Olympics is it puts all the TV shows kind of on hiatus. Everything is a repeat because they don't want to go up against the Olympics. I think it's a ratings boost. Uh, I'm one of my monitors right now. I'm looking at the luge. You know, but when I watch the Olympics, I just have such respect for these athletes in, in all these sports. You know, I'm watching the, just simple things for me. Like when I watch the luge, like how, what makes you a great luge performer? It seems to me like you sit on this sled and you just fly. I guess the way you adjust your body or it, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. But I do love the Olympics. I was watching, oh, man, what was I watching? One of these, it was skiing, I think, or speed skating. I think it was speed skating I watched. And I'm watching these speed skaters. And somebody came in second place and lost the gold medal by .08 seconds. Think about that. You have trained for four years every day, sacrificed, woke up early, worked out when you were sick, worked out when you're tired, grind it out, no fame, get out, working out, working out, working out. Here's your moment. You bust your butt and you lose by .08. And you now have silver. By less than one-tenth of one second. I mean, by .08. That, that's just got to be devastating. And then you're watching these figure skaters, and they work, and they work, and they work, and they work, and then they go out there, and they just have – they just – they slip, and they fall. And four years' worth of work, gone. Now, I know there's – you know, I know there's world championships and other competitions, but this is what it's for. This is why you're doing all those world championships – you want to get a gold medal. And you've got a partner and you're figure skating and you're running around and, and, and your partner slips and falls and everything's over. I really admire these athletes. Because, again, this is the only moment they're going to have. No one's going to remember anyone's name tomorrow morning. I'm watching the luge now. I'm not going to remember anybody's name. I might remember a crash. And I might remember if we won gold. Well, I won't remember the name. I, I've, I've said this before in, in my past podcast. I think there should be a channel dedicated strictly to Olympic events, PN Olympic, where all they do is they show Olympic events around the world. ESPN's got enough money and enough channels. Get rid of one of these other channels. Get rid of, you know, what do they have? ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN3, ESPN News. Just de dedicated on in travel around the world, show ice skating, figure skating, track and field, international volleyball. Show, show some of these other events that we don't get to see a lot of. Equestrian. Just all the sports that, that there are out there. 
And there are a lot. I think that would be something I would watch. I really do. And I think if ESPN was smart, they would think about doing that. And they could put other stuff up there. Sports that are in the winter event. I think there's, someone said there's 15. You basically have ice sports and skiing sports, and then, like, that's it. You have the bobsled, two men, two women, and then you have a four-man bobsled. You have the luge. You have skeleton. You have hockey, figure skating, speed skating, twirling. Those are all your ice ones. Then you have alpine skiing, freestyle skiing, snowboarding, which I think should be eliminated. Biathlon, cross-country skiing, ski jumping, Nordic combined, which is ski jumping and cross-country. The reason why I think you should get rid of snowboarding, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of traditional Olympic events. I, I don't want to add events. I don't want baseball. I love baseball. It's my favorite sport, maybe. I don't want baseball. I don't want softball. I don't want tennis. I don't want snowboarding. I don't want to just invent these things. I don't want, oh, we're going to now add Olympic hockey. I mean, Olympic uh, rugby or Olympic. I, I want to do sports that have been in the Olympics forever. We're going to do, you know, just don't invent a sport. I like traditional sports. So those are your, those are your uh, winter sporting events, Olympic sporting events. I think there's 15. And in the summer, you've just got a, t- a ton of them. Uh, I think you have 42 in the summer. Wrestling, weightlifting, water polo, volleyball, triathlon, trampoline, Tennis, they can get rid of. Taekwondo, table tennis, synchronized swimming, swimming, shooting, sailing, rugby, rowing, pentathlon, judo, hockey, handball, golf. We don't need it. Nobody cares about a golf gold medal. They want to win a Masters. Gymnastics, football, which is basically soccer, fencing, equestrian, and there's a million canoe, cycling, boxing. Get rid of beach volleyball. We already got volleyball. We don't need beach volleyball. Basketball, badminton, archery. If you just had a channel that dedicated itself to all those sports, because when I go to when I go to Japan, skating is huge. You know, you go to some of these sports. I was in Denmark running a camp, and uh, team handball was enormous there. I mean, to the point where it was bigger than basketball almost, and it was ruining the courts. I would like to see those events, you know, especially if they're broadcast in other countries, to see the fanaticism of it, to see, man, look at all these fans going crazy over team handball or field hockey. I think that'd be kind of fun to watch a lose championship somewhere rather than just do it at the Olympics. I I would be interested in that.
Something else they need to do on the Olympics, you know, they need to do a better job of explaining the rules. Like, if I'm watching the lose, the rules are pretty simple. But explain to me the idiosyncrasies. Explain to me technique. Explain to me what makes someone better than someone else during the race. But do it. Do it like before the race. Explain to me how you sit on it, the angle you need. Explain to me the training regimen. Give like a 15-minute seminar. Then post it on a website. I think that would be a fantastic thing that they could do. And I think it's something that that even myself, who I consider myself a very knowledgeable sports fan, I, I, I would love to learn some of these techniques and tactics and you know and watch what these these athletes go through. Like the curling. Take some time on that, man. Really explain it out. And then and then while you're watching the Olympic event, you can have a little ad on the bottom saying for more information, go to www.whatever, nbc.sports/curling. I would love to know the rules. I'd love to know what I'm looking at. I'm watching figure skating, and I do enjoy it. And they got these green and red and yellow buttons up there. Well, explain to me how, how that works. And they are flying. They're 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds. I really think they got to get rid of the snowboarding thing. Just get rid of the whole snowboard thing. I, I really don't care about that. Now I'm watching Bob's. It looks like luge relay races. It's got to be pretty cool. Then It looks like someone's coming up the luge. They They... As they go through the finish line, they tap this thing up above. Then that means the next person can go. I mean, it's pretty interesting. But that would give these athletes a little bit more love, too, that they'd be able to to be seen on TV. In a, like there's Emily Sweeney being interviewed, and she's, I guess, in luge. I don't know, but this is it for her. After this, no one's going to remember her name, if they remember her name in 10 minutes. And they deserve more. They're not going to be getting paid. So they, I, I think they need a little bit more love. Big events, yeah, I'm, I'm really I, – I, I'm not obsessed, but I enjoy it. I'm lucky enough to have three monitors in my, in my office, and, you know, one of them is always on the Olympics. And, you know, it's on NBC Sports Network all day. Then the, uh, the big boy network takes over at night. But on NBC at night, all you're really going to see is figure skating and skiing. The hockey's interesting this year because there's no professional players. So you're looking at the amateurs again. But that lose, I, I, if you're not afraid of speed or an injury, I, it, it seems like it'd be kind of fun. It really just kind of seems like you just hop on this thing and just go. I know it's not that easy, trust me. I know you got to adjust your body and move your body and angle your body. and But they're going like 70, 75, 80 miles an hour. Whipping around these things. I mean, it's pretty impressive. I don't know who invented some of these sports. 
someday somebody in the Olympic events were like, you know, let's invent this sport where you just sit on a sled and you just go through this course and you're going like at 80 miles an hour. And the body types you have to have. Like watching figure skating is like watching gymnastics. You have to be slight in stature and thin. And I'm looking at these luge guys. I mean, having more weight, does that help you? Does it generate more speed? This looks like a co-ed relay race. And there's a big dude on there, and he's flying through, and then he'll tap this little thing. He hits this, this sign up above, and then the next, next person goes, like, who invented this? How much does it cost to make that course? So now this one guy tapped it, and now there's two people going. So I, I don't know what's going on. That's where you would need some kind of instructional thing. But the dedication they put in and to lose, like, to lose because you tripped or to lose because, oh, that's just tough. And then when you're watching, like, figure skating, I know they're trying to make it less subjective, but to, to lose by fractions of a point because some judge thought your, your routine wasn't as good, that's pretty tough. I was watching, uh, watching uh, I, I watched that movie, I, Tanya. It's hard to watch. I'm just telling you. It's just hard to watch a train wreck to me. That's why I really don't want to see uh, that movie about the, the tennis, Battle of the Sexes, whatever it's called. Just real negative stuff. I did see uh, uh, what's that? What's that? Trying to see. I'm trying to remember what movies I have seen. It's not been a lot. I haven't had the opportunity to go see a ton of movies. Darkest Hour is that what it's called? Churchill, I think Churchill's a beast. I think Patton and Churchill are studs. I don't know if either one could survive today's environment, though. It, it, it's, in this politically correct world, I don't think you can survive. But I did see that. I thought it was good. I, I didn't think it was phenomenal, but I did think it was very good. And it really does relate to Dunkirk. Watch those two movies. If you haven't seen those two movies, watch them back-to-back. Because then you have a better understanding of Dunkirk. Watch Darkest Hour first, if that's what it's called. I can't remember. But watch that first. And then watch Dunkirk. When I see a really good movie, I'll let you know. I saw Only the Brave. That was tough. About firefighters. That's a tough one. But I I did think that those two movies were worth watching. But kind of moving on to that political environment, we're going to move on. And I got some great comments on the parenting topic we had last week. You know, and one thing I didn't really touch base on with regards to the parenting topic was the single parent household. It is extremely difficult. But now with this shooting in Florida, and I don't want to get into it too much. I'm not going to politicize that and, you know, tell you my thoughts on how to solve that. Because in my opinion, there really is no way to stop things from things like that from happening. There really isn't. You could put metal detectors out there, and you could have armed guards. There, there's people that can always find a way. They can always find a way. If you've got a sick enough, demented enough person, they'll find a way. That just would make it more of a challenge. The only way I think you could stop things like that is by 
you know, see something, say something. The guy obviously posted things on his Instagram. Somebody should have said, hey, we need to be aware of this guy. Maybe be on the lookout. Maybe another student sees him on campus, and they're the one that stops him, or the football coach, or a former teacher, or whatever. You know, I, I guess the only way you could have stopped that, in my opinion, is if a student at the school read the Instagram page, went to the principal or an administrator, said, this guy's posting some things here. You, you might want to read them. They take a picture of the guy. They print it out. They show it to all the, you know, administration and teachers and all those guys. Be on the lookout. Then the guy shows up. Then you apprehend him. Then you, you check his bag and he's got guns. That's the only way you stop it. it it's the people. It's the, it's the ordinary person. It's the only way you stop it. The only way you stop terrorism, in my opinion, is by ordinary citizens seeing something and then reacting to it. Now, then you got the political side of it. I'm walking down the street of Manhattan. I see a guy who looks like he might have a bomb in his backpack, and he's acting weird. I, I apprehend him, or I tell a police officer. They apprehend him. Then I get uh, deemed a racist because the world has gone way too soft. I saw something recently. Daddy-daughter dances are being banned because it's sexist. Because what if you have two moms? I mean, the world is just getting way too political. Someone still put, was it the Canadian prime minister? Is that what he's called? Someone said, you know, layman. And the guy said, something like layman or something with men. He's like, I don't say, I like, I like to say layperson. It, it's just en enough. They're going to change a you know, the National Anthem or Star Spangled Banner or something. Yeah, it's just everybody just needs to calm down. But going off into that topic of parents, you know, and talking about this guy that happened, you know, I've been saying this since I've been involved in youth sports, and I've been involved in youth sports for, my God, 30 years. I, I always, when I see a kid, he's always the product of his, of his environment, which means that he is a product of his parenting. When you look at this kid in Florida, apparently, I don't know if this to be factual, but it was told to me that he was adopted, his father died, his mother died. He, he obviously had a rough upbringing. He, he was unstable, but it, it came down to parenting to him before he was adopted. Was he, a, was he an outcast? Was he loved by his parents? Did he have great parents? And maybe the parents died and he was left alone. Maybe the parents babied him and took care of him and and provided him friendship, not just mentorship. And then when they died, he had nothing. I mean, I don't know. What I do know, in my opinion, is parents are the ones responsible for these kids. Every once in a while, you'll see a kid that's just got a chemical imbalance or he's got some kind of disease or something that you really can't control. But when you've got these kids turning into psychos or, you know, becoming bad kids in school, it's usually because of the parents. When you see the way a kid behaves, you can point it directly to a parent. Maybe the parents are really successful, great people, but they're absent. As a, as, you know, as a basketball coach, you know, it's been posed to me, would you rather have a single-parent mother or a single-parent father? I've always kind of gone, well, if I'm a daughter, I think it's better to have a single-parent mother. I think if it's a a son, it's better to have a single-parent father. But, I mean, who knows? You could have a single-parent mother that's extremely strong, 
former athlete that understands what it takes to play at that level and raises a son to play basketball at that level because they've been through it. So it really doesn't matter. What matters is to me is the style of parenting. Do you provide discipline? Do you provide structure? Do you prepare your child for life on their own? When they're 13 and 14 and 15 and 16, are you preparing them for life on their own? Can they survive on their own? Can they get a job? Can they pay bills? Do they have a bank account that they manage every day? You know, do they get home? Do you hold them accountable? You know, when they make a mistake, do you, do you discipline them or do you just say, don't worry about it? Do you give them lists of chores to do? Do you make their lives like it would be when they graduate and they move on, they go off to college? Will they be able to maintain the same level of success on their own? Or is their success based on you as a parent? Because you do all the work. You remind them. You tell them what to do. You do it for them. You're not preparing that child for any kind of success. Do you let your child fall? But if you're a single parent, it is, it is obviously double duty. It's like refing a game by yourself. I mean, you, you, it's harder. You've got to be mother and father. You've got to provide love and discipline. You can't just be all discipline. You've got to give some love, and you can't be all love. You've got to provide some discipline. You know, you can't. Parents, I think, try to be their child's best friend. Too many parents today wonder, does my son love me? Does my daughter love me? I was watching a movie recently, and they said something about, if you have a 17-year-old daughter who says, I love you, Daddy, all the time, then something's going on. I thought that was pretty funny. I think, I think the movie's called I Love You, Daddy, something like that. But it's like, if you, have, if you have a child that's constantly saying I love you, then there's something going on. Because 17-year-old daughters are, you know, mischievous and blah, 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 blah. But I thought a part of that was true. If you want your child to be your best friend, that's sad. And I think you're going to lose that child down the road eventually. And it, and it relates to sports. You know, I'm watching these, these athletes, and, you know, it's like, a, it's like a coach. As a coach, do you want your players to, to like you as a person or respect you? I, I see so many bad coaches nowadays, coaches that, you know, I, I said this on a film session I did recently. If, if you're a coach and all you do is press, and all you do is trap, 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 press, 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 then you don't know how to coach basketball. What is your job as a coach? Is it to win games in the fifth grade, or is it to develop that fifth grader into a successful high school player? What do you think your job is? Most coaches would rather just win because it's about their ego, and they just want people to think they're a great coach. So they're not going to teach basketball. They're just going to turn it into a jungle ball situation, running up and down, fouling, trapping, running, trap, 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 trap. That's not basketball. Then the kid goes to high school and they try and teach him how to play man-to-man defense in the half court. They teach him how to run a zone offense. They teach him how to run a man offense. He can't do it. All he knows to do is run, 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 run. That's bad coaching. I've seen coaches running a 1-3-1 trap. The coaches don't know what to run against it. I saw a coach up 30 continues to trap because he's a punk. I saw coaches in the fifth grade, fourth grade running traps everywhere never playing man-to-man. What is your job as a coach? Coach for themselves, and there's coaches that coach for the kids. 
The coach that coaches for themselves is the coach that just wants to win at all costs. And if they develop the player, who cares? And in parenting, what kind of parent are you? Are you a parent that wants to be liked and loved? Or are you a parent that says, I'm going to make my child very successful and teach him what it takes to be a successful adult, prepare him for life after high school? If all you're going to do is, is baby your child and provide for your child and give them money, that's what this, that's what this movie was about. Was It was a really rich director or television producer, and he just gave his daughter everything she wanted, anywhere she wanted to go, everywhere she wanted to be. I mean, there were some underlying tones to the movie. It wasn't a great movie, but it had a good message. It's called I Love You, Daddy, and it, it's, uh, it was black and white. Had some pretty good actors in it. I'll try and, you know, recall who was in it as I'm talking to you. But the message was basically, I'm this really rich dad. I'm a single father. I'm just going to give my daughter everything she wants. Louis C.K., that's who was in it. I'm going to give my daughter everything she wants. Byrne was in it. Charlie Day from Miss Sunny in Philly. John Malkovich. Pretty good movie. Helen Hunt. But the, the moral of the story was there's this guy with this, this 17-year-old daughter, and she goes anywhere she wants. She comes home. She says, I love you, Daddy, every five seconds. And then, Daddy, can I go back to Florida? Can I go here? Can I take the private jet there? Can I take the credit card here? Gives her everything. That was when the friend said to him, if, if she, the, the friend was like a former girlfriend. She says, the daughter that says, I love you, Daddy, all the time. Uh, is usually got something up her sleeve. Well, the, at the end of the movie, you know, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of little, the end of the movie, the daughter ends up not going to college. And then he says to her, you know, instead of going to Florida and doing all these things and hanging out and partying, maybe you should have filled out some applications to go to college. And then she yells back, well, you, you never told me these things. You never did these things. I didn't know. It's your fault. And they're both partially right. It is the parents' fault. Well, the, then the, you're going to say, well, wait a minute. The parents shouldn't do everything for them. No, they shouldn't. But they should provide a, a, a guidance. Like I would say to my child, hey, you've got to send in these, these college applications. You've got to figure out these college applications. Go talk to your school counselor, and you better get it done because if you don't get it done, you're not going to college. I wouldn't fill it out for them. I wouldn't remind them every five minutes. I would say to them, hey, the bottom line is here. Uh, if you don't fill these applications out, you're not going to college. I ain't paying for you. And you, you, I'm not going to pay for you to live here either. Like my dad, when I was in the eighth grade, said to me, you're going to be in high school next year. And if you go to college, that's up to you. We can't afford it. You've got three younger brothers. We're not going to pay a dime of your education. You're smart. You're athletic. Get a scholarship. Play in college or don't. It's up to you. But don't look to me to help you in any way, shape, or form. Your mother and myself have never been to college. My mother and father never went to college. Nobody in my family did. No one's going to tell you what it takes to get there. If you want to get there, figure it out. Talk to a counselor. If you want to get it done, go get it done. But don't look at me. I was in the eighth grade. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. And I did. I figured it out. Tell, I will guide a child. I will say, this is what you need to do. Like when I'm coaching kids, this is what you need to do. These are the things you have to do. You have to do the clearing house. You have to do this. You have to take these courses. 
You have to take court courses. You have to do. And then it's up to them to do it. It's like me saying, oh, hey, uh, you got to get a better jump shot or you're not going to make it to the next level. What am I going to do, go out and shoot for them? They got to get the reps up. They got to go practice. I'm not going to call them every day. Hey, are you working out? I mean, if you don't want it, you don't want it. As a parent, I think they, they care too much about if their child likes them. Like in that movie, he just wanted his daughter to like him and think he was a great daddy. And in the end, she didn't because he wasn't. So, again, what are you going to do? And if you're a single parent, it, it's even harder. But it, it's, it's what it is. And if you have a coach, you hope that a coach will assist you in these, in these things. I know as a coach, I hammer kids on grades. I hammer kids on things that can help the parents. I've had parents multiple times call me and say or email me, Coach, my son's got an F and he took a test and he failed it. Can you, can you, take, can you help me with this? And, yeah, I do. I do what I can. But there are more bad coaches than good coaches, and there are more bad parents than good parents, in my opinion. And being in this youth sports world, I have seen the effect of a bad parent. It makes the kid weak. It makes the kid unprepared. It, it, the kid becomes a brat. He doesn't persevere. He doesn't adapt and overcome. He doesn't take criticism well. And some of these kids turn out to be psychos. Do you really take pride in winning a fifth-grade game, really? Do you really go home and brag about that? I mean, if I won a fifth-grade game, I wouldn't mention it again to anybody that wasn't a coach. I'm not just going to go randomly talk to my brother. Hey, what would you do this weekend, Dave? Oh, yeah, we won some fifth-grade games. I mean, I'm not that big a loser. And I look at these coaches that are just going berserk. Coaches are F-bombing, running around, screaming going crazy. I mean, to watch it, trap, 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 run, 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 trap, 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 trap. But see, in Europe, a lot of the places I go in Europe, they don't even allow pressing until you get to high school because they're smarter than Americans. The greatest thing a youth league could do is saying no pressing until you're in ninth grade or no pressing until you're in ninth grade or every rule is you can press after, with four minutes to go in the game, if it's within ten, I run camps in, all over the world, and I do, when they, when there's games, I do not allow pressing full court. Kid, I I don't have a problem so much going man to man full court, but if you're gonna leave and start jumping and trapping, I don't. I, I just say pull the whistle, tell them they cannot trap. Period. Until there's like four minutes to go in the game, no traps. Because I've seen what that turns into. I run my national phenom camps. We don't, we don't allow trapping. We, have, we play four quarters. I might give them one quarter where they can play zone and every other quarter is man. And then usually I end up just going all man, no zone at all. And then you see how bad the kids are. You look at Duke and Kentucky with some of the best talent in the country. Duke next year's guy, I think, got the top three players in high school coming. All these teams have all these top-notch players coming. Probably six of the top ten go to those two schools. And they have to play zone because they can't play man-to-man. 
because they've never played man-to-man because they've never had coaches. They didn't have coaches that can discipline, coaches that tell them what to do, what not to do. It's really bad. Just listening to these coaches speak, looking at how they interact, it is, it is hard to deal with. And then you've got these kids who are mentally weak. You've got these kids who are idiots. You've got these kids who act stupid. You've got these kids that treat their parents like garbage. You've got these kids that have no respect for anybody, selfish, prima donna, all they care about is themselves, kids that are just so egocentric, kids that only, only concern themselves with themselves. And that's because of the parents. And it's not just parents. Sometimes it's the external family members. Maybe it's grandparents. Maybe it's uncles, aunts. There's, there's, there's a lot of factors, but it just makes common sense. You are who you surround yourself with. And if you're if from the age of zero all the way until 18, you spend 90% of your life with this person, of course you're going to be that person. Are you telling me you're going to spend 90% of your lifetime with a human being and then be the opposite of that person? That's not possible. You know, even if I see a bad coach, you know, you can say, okay, that's a really bad coach. I'm going to learn what not to do. But I'm not spending 90% of my life with them. I spent two to three hours a day with that coach for four months a year. But when I go home, I go to bed, I wake up, I am spending every waking moment with that parent. They are advising me and telling me what I can and cannot do. They are my advice. They are my soundboard. They are my emotional support. They are my support system. They provide me with food and everything else. You don't think I'm going to turn into that person? If you're a vegetarian and don't let me eat anything but veggies and you're forcing me to eat a certain way, that, that, that's going to cause me problems probably. But you are who you surround yourself with, and if you – it's just some parents don't want to accept that fact. Some parents don't want to be told the truth. They'll come back to me as always, well, you don't have any, you don't have any kids. You don't know. Well, that, allows, that allows me to know because I'm not attached. I have nephews. I've been coaching youth sports for 30 years. I've coached everybody from the age of seven all the way up. I've seen bad parents, and I've seen the effect they have on kids. Parents always use that excuse. And whenever you hear a parent say, well, you don't know what it's like, you don't have kids, usually what they're saying to you is, I know I'm a screw-up, but I don't want to admit it. What's so hard to say, you know what, I screwed that one up. I, gotta, I, I, I didn't do that one right. I wish I had some help. When you have these successful Olympic athletes, when you have successful athletes, successful people in the, in the community, that's because they've had great parents. If you've got mentally weak players, because they have parents that were mentally weak and allowed them to be mentally weak. It's not rocket science here. So parents, if you're raising a child to be in the world of sports, you have to raise them differently than a parent would raise someone to be a cashier at Walmart. You have to raise them differently. They have to adapt and overcome. They have to persevere. They have to accept failure. They have to learn from their failures. You, you, you can't let them, you can't bubble wrap them and prevent them from failure. You have to let them fall and then teach them how to get up. I mean, I think you need to do that if your parent, if your kid's going to be a cashier, but not as much as if you're trying to teach your kid to be an athlete or to be successful in life. You've got to teach them how to adapt and overcome 
teach them how to how to fall and get up. And if they screw up, you have to punish them. You have to give them consequences. If you screw up at work, you get fired. That's a consequence. Teach them to do things the right way at, at you know immediately. We'll see. But I know that this topic generated a lot of uh, comments for me uh, on email. If you have any other topics you'd like me to cover, just shoot me an email. Coach Dave Taylor at yahoo.com. I'll give you my opinion. You might not agree with it, but that's your prerogative. My email, Coach Dave Taylor at yahoo.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Coach Dave Taylor. I think that's my Instagram. I think that's everything. But I hope you enjoyed the podcast. We'll be on again next week after the disaster that is the NBA All-Star Game. There's not a lot going on. Baseball is starting spring training soon, some already. Some players still haven't signed. Darvish went to the Cubs. I don't think he's that good. He let me down as a Dodger, so I don't I don't care about him. But Drew and some of these other guys, J.D. Martinez, and we'll see where they end up. They're, they're still floating around out there. If you uh, have any questions, just let me know. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram. Also, uh, don't drink and drive, please. It, I think it's the worst thing a person can do. You're a murderer, so don't drink and drive. Don't text and drive. We'll talk again next week. Have a great week. I know it's a four-day week for many. We've got President's Hall, President's Weekend kind of coming up with all the President's birthdays. What is it, Washington and Lincoln? So enjoy your little uh, break here. Be safe. Be smart. Respect the athletes. Make a difference in someone's life. Stop your whining. We'll talk to you next week. Peace. Here looking at the clock, Big Daddy already you're a half hour late. I've been a pulling back the curtains, creeping out the window, wish you wouldn't make me wait. You better move it on home, boy. You better move it on home. Been a sitting here listening to the jukebox playing and forgetting where I ought to be. Sipping on a cool one, having me some good fun. Time got away from me. I better move it on home. Better move it on home. Better spin them wheels and make it on back where heaven on earth and love is at like a rolling stone. Better move it on home. I've been here cooking you a nice hot supper and you can't even eat it on time. Heating up the meatloaf and stirring up the gravy is kind of up my mind, you better move it on home, boy. Better move it on home, yeah. I've been a speeding through the traffic, a passing every one. I remember what I forgot. Stepping on the gas and a driving kind of fast. I'm hoping I won't get stopped. Better move it on home. Better move it on home. Better spin them wheels and make it on back for heaven on earth. And love is that like a rolling stone.
murder. <laughs> 